Brought to you by PrayLatin.com, makers of prayer cards featuring complete English phonetic renderings of Latin pronunciations. Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano has issued a warning of sorts to his brother bishops and to the laity. The despotic reign of Francis cannot go on forever, and when that time comes, what will come next? Will the church permit the errors of Bergoglio to continue, and for how long? Vigano calls out many of the better bishops and commentators, not by name, but he calls them out nonetheless for claiming that Traditionis Custodis was a legitimate act of the church, when it can be no such thing. Vigano goes there and goes so far as to call Francis an infernal servant of the adversary. He's not mincing words in this letter, of which I have many excerpts for you. And if you want to read the whole thing for yourself, I will have links to it in my show notes today at returntotradition.org. That's the name of this podcast with a .org at the end. Simply skip past the Patreon pop-up since there's no paywall for my sources, unless you want to become a patron of the channel. And if you do, then you have my heartfelt thanks. Anyway, let's get into this. Vigano's letter was published with little fanfare or notice, and mostly European outlets, at least at the time of the, pub, the uh, production of this video, during the octave of the Nativity of the Lord, the week after Christmas. Sadly, that's a time when many commentators and outlets shut down for the season, due to the fact that many people are traveling or just tuning out of bad news. Vigano begins by telling us flat out that the numerous liturgical errors we see today are tolerated, and heresies are ignored or even endorsed by Rome, while the Roman Curia goes after faithful Catholics, the traditional Catholics. He's not holding back. Vigano, as he describes the fruit of Vatican II and its new mass and the purpose of Traditionis Custodis and the responsa ad dubia of Roach, he doesn't hold back in any of this. Here's a lengthy excerpt from his letter, but it's well worth it. Quote, in reading the responsa ad dubia recently published by the Congregation for Divine Worship, one wonders to what abysmal levels the Roman Curia could have ascended to have to support Bergoglio with such servility in a cruel and ruthless war against the most docile and faithful part of the Church. Never in the last decades of a serious, very serious crisis in the Church has ecclesiastical authority shown itself to be so determined and severe. It has not done so with the heretical theologians who infest the pontifical universities and seminaries. It has not done so with fornicating clergy and prelates. It has not done so in punishing in an exemplary way the scandals of bishops and cardinals. But against the faithful, priests and religious, who only ask to be able to celebrate the Tridentine Holy Mass, no pity, no mercy, no inclusivity. For Tutti, never as under this pontificate has the abuse of power by authority been so perceptible. Not even when 2,000 years of Lexorandi were sacrificed by Paul VI on the altar of Vatican II, imposing on the Church a rite as equivocal as it is hypocritical. That imposition, which included the prohibition of celebrating in the ancient rite and the persecution of dissenters, had at least the alibi of the illusion that a change would perhaps improve the chances of Catholicism in the face of an increasingly secularized world. Today, after 50 years of terrible disasters and 14 years of Samoran Pontificum, that feeble justification is not only no longer valid, but it is repudiated in its inconsistency by the evidence of the facts. All the new things that the Council brought have proven harmful. It has emptied churches, seminaries, and convents. It has destroyed ecclesiastical and religious vocations. It has drained all spiritual, cultural, and civil impulse from Catholics. It has humiliated the Church of Christ and confined it to the margins of society, making it pathetic in its clumsy attempt to please the world. 
and vice versa. Ever since Benedict XVI tried to heal that vulness by recognizing full rights to the traditional liturgy, the communities linked to the Mass of St. Pius V have multiplied, the seminaries of the Ecclesia Dei Institutes have grown, vocations have increased, and the frequency of the faithful's attendance has increased, and the spiritual life of many young people and many families has found an unexpected impetus. What lessons should have been drawn from this experience of tradition, invoked by the time also by Monsignor Marcel Lefebvre? The most obvious and at the same time simplest lesson of all. What God has given to the church is destined for success, and what man adds to it collapses miserably. A soul not blinded by ideological fury would have admitted the mistake made, trying to repair the damage and build what had been destroyed in the meantime, restoring what had been abandoned. But this requires humility, a supernatural gaze, and a trust in God's provident intervention. This also requires the awareness on the part of pastors that they are stewards of the Lord's goods, not masters. They have no right to alienate these goods, nor to hide them, nor to replace them with their own inventions. They must limit themselves to guarding them and making them available to the faithful, sine glossa, along with a constant thought of having to answer before God for every sheep and every lamb of his flock. The apostle admonishes, Hic am quertor inte dispentores ut fidelis ques inventor. Here now it is required among the dispensers that a man be found faithful. See 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. The response at dubia are consistent with traditionus custodis and clarify the subversive nature of this quote-unquote pontificate in which the supreme power of the church has been usurped in order to obtain a purpose diametrically opposed to that for which our Lord constituted in authority the sacred pastors and his vicar on earth. It is a power that is indocile and rebellious against the one who instituted it and who legitimized it, a power that is believed in fide solitus, so to speak according to an intrinsically revolutionary and therefore heretical principle. Let us not forget, the revolution claims to itself a power that justifies itself by the mere fact of being revolutionary, subversive, conspiratorial, and antithetical to the legitimate power it intends to overthrow, a power which, as soon as it comes to fill institutional roles, is exercised with tyrannical authoritarianism, precisely because it is not ratified either by God or by the people. End lengthy quote. The church has never been in the business of endorsing change, either in the secular world or in the church. The church's approach has always been that if you want to see change in the world, you must spread the gospel, convert hearts to Christ, and then and only then can you get to the root of the problem. His characterization of our time in the church is accurate. The changes we've seen in the church since the 1960s were wrought by those who opposed the faith from within the church, who sought literal outside help in foisting their vision onto the church. One needs only to look at the architect of the new of the new mass, Annibale Bugnini, who had help from various Protestant ministers in designing a new rite of mass for the church that Cardinal Odoviani had to threaten Paul VI with being denounced as a formal heretic if he implemented as it had been submitted to him. Cardinal Ottaviani was a stalwart Orthodox cardinal and liturgist who, during Vatican II, lamented privately that he hoped he would die before the close of the council so he could still pass while being a Catholic, given the changes he was seeing that had been previously rejected by the authorities of the church. Few noted during that time the links between the changes in the church and the changes in the world outside the church, and that is something that is interesting to consider, wondering if, it, if both of those were organic things or if they were not organic, both in their time and ours. Vigano touches on this in his letter, and he notes that what we're seeing in the church coincides with those things in the outside world, and it's not a coincidence in the slightest. Quote, 
And this valid is is this valid as a response to those who claim to face the religious crisis without considering the social and political crisis in parallel with it? Because it is precisely the two-pronged nature of this attack that makes it so terrible and reveals that it is being guided by one same criminal mind. I do not want to go into the merits of the deliriums of the responsa. It is enough to simply know the ratio legisti to be able to reject traditional custodis as an ideological and partisan document drawn up by vindictive and intolerant people, full of vain ambition and gross canonical errors, with the intention of prohibiting a rite canonized by two thousand years of saints and pontiffs, and in its place imposing a spurious one, copied from Lutherans and patched up by the modernists, which in fifty years has caused a terrible disaster to the ecclesial body, and which, precisely because of its devastating effectiveness, cannot permit any exceptions. Here there is only one fault. There is also malice in the twofold betrayal of the divine lawgiver as well as the faithful. Bishops, priests, religious, and laity find themselves once again having to make a choice of side, either with the Catholic Church and its 2,000-year-old and immutable doctrine, or with the conciliar and Bergolian Church with its errors and its secularized rites. And this happens in a paradoxical situation in which the Catholic Church and her counterfeit coincide in the same hierarchy, which the faithful feel they must obey as an expression of God's authority, and at the same time they must disobey as treacherous and rebellious. End quote. What we are witnessing is an attempt to remake everything inside the church and outside into the image and likeness of the infernal. That's undeniable at this point. I've long called what we're seeing the ape of the church, and it's a term I've borrowed from various figures throughout the history of the church, including Fulton Sheen. And part of making the ape real by necessity is the denial of the divine lawgiver, the denial of Christ. Vigano hammers this point relentlessly, that what we're seeing is not only not Catholic in the church and in the world, but antithetical to the faith itself. Given that reality, we must stand against it. Quote, it's true that it's not easy to disobey the tyrant. His reactions are ruthless and cruel, but much worse were the persecutions that had to be suffered over the centuries by Catholics who found themselves having to face Arius, iconoclasm, the Lutheran heresy, the Anglican schism, Cromwell's Puritanism, etc. Because the sacred ministers did not want to renounce the most precious treasure that our Lord has given us, the Holy Mass. The Mass that he taught the apostles to celebrate, that the apostles transmitted to their successors, that the popes have guarded and restored, and that has always been at the center of the infernal hatred of the enemies of Christ and of the Church. To think that the same Holy Mass, for which missionaries sent to Protestant lands or priests imprisoned risked their lives, is today forbidden by the Holy See, is a cause of pain and scandal, as well as an offense to the martyrs who defended that Mass to the last breath. But these things can only be understood by those who believe, who love, and who hope. Only by those who live by God. Those who limit themselves to expressing reservations or criticisms of Traditionis Custodis and of the Responsa fall into the trap of the adversary, because by doing so they recognize the legitimacy of an illegitimate and invalid law, desired and promulgated in order to humiliate the Church and her faithful, despite the quote-unquote traditionalists who dare to do nothing less than oppose heterodox doctrines condemned up until Vatican II, which made its own and which today have become the cipher of the Bergolian pontificate. Traditionis custodis and the responsa must simply be ignored return to the sender. They must be ignored because it is clear that their intention is to punish Catholics who remain faithful, to disperse them and to make them disappear. I am dismayed at the servility of so many cardinals and bishops, who in order to please Bergoglio trample on the rights of God and the souls entrusted to their care, and who make a point of showing their aversion for the preconciliar liturgy, considering themselves deserving of public condemnation and Vatican approval. The Lord's words are addressed to them. 
You consider yourselves just before men, but God knows your hearts. That which is exalted before men is detestable before God. See Luke chapter 16, verse 15. The coherent and courageous response in the face of a tyrannical gesture of ecclesiastical authority must be resistance and disobedience to an inadmissible order. Resigning oneself to accepting this umpteenth oppression means adding another precedent to the long series of abuses tolerated up to now, by one's own servile obedience making oneself responsible for the maintenance of a power as an end in itself. It is necessary that the bishops, the successors of the apostles, exercise their sacred authority in obedience and fidelity to the head of the mystical body in order to put an end to this ecclesiastical coup that has taken place before our eyes. The honor of the papacy requires it, which today is exposed to discredit and humiliation by the one who occupies the throne of Peter. The good of souls requires it, whose salvation is the supreme lex of the church. The glory of God requires it, with respect to which no compromise is tolerable. The Polish Archbishop Monsignor Jean Powell Lange has said that it is the moment for a Catholic counter-revolution, if we do not want to see the church sink under the heresies and vices of merchants and traders. The promise of non bon does not exclude courageous and firm action in the least. On the contrary, it asks and demands such action from bishops and priests, and also from the laity, who never as today have been so treated as subjects, despite the fatuous appeals to Artuasa Participatio and to their role in the church. Let's take note. Clericalism has reached its apex under the quote-unquote pontificate of the one who hypocritically does nothing but stigmatize it. <laughs> End quote. There's that word again, popularized by Francis to go after traditional priests, but in reality fits perfectly men like Supich and Roach, who are, let's be clear, mer merely servants eagerly doing what Francis wants. And that word is clericalism. We must remember something in all of this. All these actions are being taken by Francis and executed by his hirelings. It is the will of Francis that we see unfolding. While placing some of the blame with Roach and Supich is certainly warranted, remember that this is all coming from the top, from Francis, from the men surrounding him, and they work at lightning speed to ensure that they finish their infernal work before Francis's time is up. How long does he have? Only our blessed Lord knows, though there are whispers from the Logia about that. Time will tell. But will you stand with Vigano? Will the better bishops begin to really focus and take more proactive action in all of this? Let me know in the comments, please. Like and subscribe if you haven't. It really does help. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.